Would you open your Bibles, please, to Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 3. We're in the midst of a series of messages from the book of Acts, and today we come to chapter 3. I hope we'll all give our undivided attention this morning to this time of reading and studying from the Word of God. Everybody together. May we bow together in prayer, please. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the song the choir has given us, for that message in solo, for all the vibrant singing here today. We pray Thou wilt bless those who would like to be in God's house today but cannot because of physical afflictions and infirmities. We pray Thou wilt touch them with healing strength. And as they become one with us through the marvelous miracle of radio, may all together, all of us, glorify and honor the name of Jesus. And Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit will do His convicting work, that somebody who has come to this place without a vital faith in Jesus will come to know Thee and love Thee and serve Thee. And every saved person will rejoice and have his burden lifted at Calvary. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the, ninth, at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his birth, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked him alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he who sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto them, unto him. And as the lame man who was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his Son, Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate, whom he was determined to let go. 
but ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. And you killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, of which ye are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know, yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I know that through ignorance ye did it, as did ye also your rulers. But those things which God hath before, which God before had shown by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. The text that I want to lay on our hearts this morning is verse 6. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. It was the ninth hour, and Peter and John went to the temple to pray. If you could visualize being back in ancient Jerusalem, and you see all of the people with their compounded needs, the greatest need of all, a vital connection to God, a vital connection with heaven, and all of their needs in this very city the Prince of Glory had lived. God's only begotten Son had come from the glory place. He had spent time touching blind eyes and causing men to walk and interrupting funeral processions and raising dead people to life. The tide of popular opinion had turned against Jesus and they had crucified Jesus between two thieves. He who had never sinned died as a common criminal. All that is past. Jesus was dead. Three days later, he had been raised from the dead. The apostles knew it, and their lives had been transformed. Their weakness, their vacillating hesitance, all of this had been transformed, and now they were magnifying the name of Christ. But in this very city, where you would think everybody knew about Jesus, there were still hundreds of people who did not know him and did not trust him and did not love him. And when Peter and John went to the temple that day to pray, and some say the ninth hour was three o'clock in the afternoon, the Jews liked to pray three times a day, in the morning, at noon, and in the afternoon. When they went to pray, there was a beggar. Jesus had said, the poor you will always have. We have the poor with us today. We're not to think of the beggar, however, as simply symbolizing just the poor who have not money, who have not food, who have not clothing. Certainly our hearts need to go out to these. A Christian 
needs to treat a dog different from the world, the way the world treats a dog. There needs to be something written in the constitutional makeup of a believer in Christ that gives him care and concern about people. But this particular beggar symbolized people who are in need of God. They're in need of some reality that they do not have. Notice concerning this man, he, the scripture says, he was carried to the temple. They laid daily at the temple. He was lame from his birth. He had never had the opportunity that most of us have had. Well, he went to the right place. I, I suppose that there is something about Christian people that the world's people, when they get in trouble, they like to be around somebody who has some kind of connection with God. I read in a book recently that a transformed beggar wrote, he said whenever he and his group went to a certain city, they would always go and get a position near a church, near a church that had a spire reaching toward heaven, because somehow the people that came by that church always seemed to have more concern and they were better able to get money from those people. Well, this man went to the temple. And he was sitting at the beautiful gate of the temple. And he wanted something for his basket. That man had no idea when he got up that morning what he was going to get. All he thought he would get would be a few pennies or nickels or dimes or whatever they gave in those days. I suppose he thought, well, if I have a good day, I'll have enough to get something to eat, maybe enough to find some place to sleep tonight. There's nothing else I can expect. I'm a poor man, and I'm physically unable to do the work. And in the age in which he lived, there was little else that a man in that condition could do but beg. Though today, we have come a long way from that age and men are able to do much more with much less. At any rate, he, stood at the, he, he sat at the temple gate. Now he was expecting people to just come along and give them a little, give them a little coin. Here's a little coin. Here's another coin. He expected that. And so when Peter and John came along, he held up, I guess, his basket or his hand as if he would take an alms from them. And verse 4 says, Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. Now, this is a little bit different approach. I guess that beggar said, Well, I've never seen it like this before. I don't exactly know what he's talking about. Uh, look on us. And so the beggar looked. Verse 5, he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something from them. I suppose he looked with steadfastness and, and thought, now if I look in there and look innocent enough and look needy enough, why, those two men will they'll take pity on me and they'll do something big for me. Oh, they were about to do something big, but that fellow didn't have any idea how big it was going to be. Verse 6, then Peter said, 
Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Just like that, a command was given in the Spirit, and there was a response to that command. He took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Never since his birth had that beggar had any experience like that. Oh, he'd had a lot of experiences. He'd had people be kind to him. He had had people meet his needs. I guess he'd had people buy him clothes and buy him food and take him home and they've done good things and they'd filled his coffers with some money. But never, never, never had that man had that kind of thing done to him. And immediately that man's heart was open and he had spiritual insight and he went into the temple. And who'd he praise? Did he praise Peter and John? Did he say, oh, goody, look what Peter and John did for me? No. God seemed to move immediately into his heart, and he looked beyond Peter and John, and he saw God. And he said, look what God has done for me. Now, briefly, I want to lay on our hearts this morning these thoughts. Peter and John said to that beggar, silver and gold have I none. There are some things they didn't have they could give. You see, Peter and John were poor. I guess, in one sense, they were poorer than that beggar. The beggar was an invalid. He was crippled. But he, day by day by day, had plenty to eat because people came by and gave him. He had plenty, probably, probably some money. You'd be surprised how some of these beggars fare that, uh, you know, sit around asking for money. Uh, I understand that they, uh, they get along, some of them get along pretty well. I'm not making fun, making jest in any sense, but some of them do. And, and, and this, the, this man might have been getting along better financially than Peter and John. But Peter and John looked at them and looked at that man and he said, there's some things I don't have I can give you. He said, I don't have any money to give you. Matter of fact, I don't even have anything that I could buy clothes with to give you. He, they said, you know, I don't even, we don't even have any food we can give you. We don't have any influence that uh, we could give you. You know, we couldn't go down to Mr. Pilate and say, uh, now, sir, uh, here's a poor man down here on the street, and I think he ought to have better housing. And I think he ought to, better, ought to have better uh, opportunity in life. And I'm going to lead a, a special legislation move that will enable these poor beggars to get along better in the world. Oh, Peter and John said, we don't have that kind of influence. And beside that, we don't have time. Beside that, no, that's not your real need. He said, there's some things we don't have. Silver and gold have we none. Listen, Christian friend. There are a lot of things in life we may not have to give people that are in need. But, oh God, give us, give us the insight. Give us the discernment to see what people's real needs are. If we could only see the needs of men and women and boys and girls, if we could see what their heart cry really is, not just what their words are, but what their heart cry is. How many of you have ever had the experience of going to God in prayer and you've said some things with your lips and yet you knew 
that you were communing with them very poorly because you weren't able to express the heart cry of your soul to God. You weren't really saying in words what your heart needed. You were saying some words, but really what you were praying, oh God, look beyond my words and see what my need is. My real heart cry to you is. Aren't you glad God did that? He looked beyond your words and he saw your need. He looked down in your soul. He found out what your real need is and he met that need. That's the way with Peter and John that day. Silver and gold have we none, but such as we have give we unto thee. What are the things they had? What they had, all of us can have, many do have, and, and, it, and what we have can be intensified. Number one, they had compassion. They had compassion. The greatest word in the English language, perhaps, is the word compassion. The Bible says in Matthew 9 that Jesus, looking on the multitudes, was moved with compassion. That word compassion comes from the same word in the Greek that our word for emotion comes from. His life, the lives of Peter and John were so moved by what they saw because of an experience they'd had with Jesus Christ that their hearts were moved emotionally to do something about the plight of that man. And yet the compassion that is controlled by Christ said to them that what this man really needed, what he really needed, was not just a handout. What he really needed was not just a new clothes. What he really needed was not just a bowl of soup. But he had something deeper that he needed. And it was with compassion that that need was met. Today we're living in an age when men think mostly of themselves. Very few take seriously the fact related in Genesis that we are our brother's keeper. We can go up and down the land and find men and women and boys and girls afraid. They're afraid to go on fighting for existence. They, like David of old, look on their right hand and on their left and refuge fails them and they cry out, no man cares for my soul until, until somebody comes along who cares. I thank God for some Sunday school teachers who care. Just recently, just this last few weeks in our youth departments here, we had a contest going. The youth coordinator and the youth uh, leaders and teachers and directors had a contest going in the departments concerning the classes, dressing those classes up down there, making them look nice. You know what was accomplished through that? Here's what was accomplished. Of course, the rooms got to looking nice. You ought to have been down there to look like a parade this morning. All those beautiful rooms and everything. They had a contest and some classes won and so on. But do you know what else it accomplished? It got those teachers to reach out to those pupils and those pupils to the teachers and in compassion, they work together, meeting needs. Meeting needs, physical needs, just to dress up a room? Yes. Because when you involve your life in somebody else's life, it's never wasted, no matter how you involve it. And it was with compassion that Peter and John looked on this beggar and they said, we do not have any silver and gold, but what we have, we will freely give to you. They had compassion. They had love. We'll love you for Jesus' sake. When you look on the world, when you look on people across this city, listen, I want to tell you from the depths of my soul, it's easy, it's easy to send money to some society that's collecting money for children and orphans' homes in Korea. 
It's easy to take a nickel or a dime and give it to some beggar. It's easy to build a house so that people have a better house to live in or give somebody some clothes so they can have better clothes to wear. But it's not easy to involve your life with their life. That's not easy. That's hard. And most of us don't do it. It's not easy to have compassion so that we enter the life of somebody else and we say, let me walk with you. Let me talk with you. Let me involve myself with you and let me give you that which has changed my life, the love of Jesus. That's what Peter and John did. Secondly, silver and gold have we none, but such as we have we give to you. We give you our compassion, our love. Secondly, we give you a changed life, a changed life. Now, Peter was a fisherman. He was a profane swearer. He cussed and swore. You say, how do you know that? Because when he denied Jesus and he got away from Christ, those old habits began to come back to him. And the Bible record tells us how he swore and he jested and he was ugly and mean toward Christ. Where'd he get all that? It wasn't something new. It was just the old things coming back into his life. But Peter had a life change. When he got filled with the Holy Spirit, his life changed. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And Peter and John could say to that beggar, that miserable, poor man, we don't have a lot of things, but listen, I've had a life change. And I just want to show you what Jesus can do with a changed life. It were as if they were saying, look, beggar, before this, we would have passed you by or we'd have given you a nickel or a dime or we'd have just gone on down the street and we'd have, we'd have just tipped our hat. But I want to tell you, I want to show you what happens when my life gets changed. I'll get involved in your life. I'll get involved with you and I'll stop long enough to give you that which can really help you help yourself and help you through all the rest of life. And God wants us to do that. So many times we who say we're saved don't have any changed life. We come to church and we run in and out of church. Kids, when I was a little boy, one day, you know, the, our pastor had a, a rule that you couldn't sit in the balcony. We had a balcony back in our church and he had a rule saying you couldn't sit in the balcony if you were under a certain age. Now, I don't think the church ever voted on that. It was just his rule. And so one day I came and I felt like I was in a cutting up mood and I sneaked up in the balcony and I was sitting with some people. And our balcony had a horseshoe around like that, you know, and you could sneak down under that balcony and you'd think nobody was looking. Nobody could see you. But I guess our pastor had eagle eyes. And boy, he could see whatever was going on. He saw it and, and uh, he just motioned to an usher like that. And I, I didn't even see that. Those ushers were so trained, boy, when he went like that, they just went like that. And uh, uh, he went like that. <clears throat> and that usher came down there to where I was. And I was sitting down there. Boy, I was having a big time. I was cutting up and so on. I was a little boy. I must have been, oh, I don't know, eight or nine years old. Maybe ten. I don't know. I don't think I'd even been saved yet. I was younger than that. Anyway, he, he, that, that usher came down and said, the pastor wants you to sit on the front row. <laughs> I looked at him and I tried to crawl under the bench. And uh, you know... You know what he did? Why, he just got me up by my hand, my arm, 
real nice. He wasn't mean. He wasn't ugly. He didn't push me. He just real firmly got my hand. I knew what he meant. And uh, he took me down and sat on the front row right in front of everybody. They all saw me go there. And of course, you know what I did. I, I sat down there. I looked all around. I got mad at the preacher. But I sat there. I wouldn't pre- speak to the preacher for a month. But boy, I'll tell you, I never went back to that balcony. And I never got up and walked in and out of church again. Never. All my life. Never did that anymore. I learned my lesson. And you know, a lot of times when we get saved and we say, yes, I love Jesus, we come in church and we slounge around and we hide behind somebody else's head. We think the preacher can't see us and we don't have to listen to him so much. You know what? God knows all about us. And when you have a changed life, the people will know it. You don't have to tell them. They'll know it. They'll see it in you. And if you're a fake, if you're just a goody-goody when people are looking and you're a fake the rest of the time, God will know it and the people will know it and your influence won't count for anything. Peter and John said to that man, we don't have a lot of things. There's some things we can't give you, but we can give you a changed life. God changed our life and we want to tell you what happened. In the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And then you know what Peter and John did? They didn't wait for that man's faith to start growing. They got his hand. And they began to lead him. You see, they got involved in that other fellow. They got his hand and began to lead. Now, that's the way we do when we go out soul winning. We need to go out and talk to people about Jesus. Go out to their homes. But be sure we go with the compassion of Christ in our hearts. Be sure we go with a changed life. Hypocrisy is it to go and talk to somebody about Christ. And then our lives do not count it. Do not stack up. And when we go and talk to somebody about Christ and we tell them, then we need to go a step further. We need to get their hand and lift them closer to Christ. Lift them closer to Christ. When I was saved, there was a Miss Browning in our church. He used to come to our house every Sunday evening about 6 o'clock. And she'd insist that we all go to training union. I didn't understand it at the time, but I believe God put that on that heart, that lady's heart, because he wanted us to get deeper in the Lord. The people that get deeper in the Lord are those, those who come back on Sunday night, who get involved in the things of God. And Christian friends, we need to get them by the hand and bring them where God can deal with them. That's one of the joys and the glories of the bus ministry where bus pastors and Sunday school teachers and others go out and bring them in, compel them to come just because of love. The last thing, silver and gold have we none, but such as we have give we unto thee. The Spirit-controlled life, the control of the Holy Spirit. That's what Peter and John were saying. He was saying, beggar, We could give you a nickel or dime. We could give you some clothes. We could give you a new house to live in, but that really wouldn't help you. What we we really want to give you is something that will enable you to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit controlled life. And, And so they looked into that man's life and they said, in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus, and there's power in the name of Jesus, There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved but the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we command you, walk. And that man looked 
Maybe at first he didn't understand what they were saying, and so they took him by the hand, and they enabled him to get up, and immediately the strength of God came in his ankles, and his feet, and his legs, and he began to walk, and he began to leap, and he praised God, and he went with them to the temple because the Holy Spirit had moved into their lives, into his life. A lot of people have been sitting along life's road, waiting, wanting. They had a hungry heart. They wanted something they didn't have. They didn't know how to get it waiting for somebody to come. Let's give it. And as we give that life-changing message, let's all the time be sure and remember that it is only the Holy Spirit who can accomplish anything in somebody's life. Only the Holy Spirit. When He has come, the Holy Spirit, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because ye believe not on me and of judgment because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of righteousness. Now the, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the one who can draw people to Christ. If you're here today without Jesus, you've never been saved, the Spirit of God wants to draw you to Christ. Immediately when this man when this man got healed and he went into the temple You know what Peter and John began to began to do immediately? They preached the word They said to all of those gathered around who were the spectators who had come to see what had happened to this man Peter and John began to say you crucified the Lord of glory Jesus repent therefore and be converted turn from your sin and turn to Christ and allow Christ to fill your life. The only one that can really give us the change we need is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus comes in, everything else is all right. Let's close our eyes in prayer, please. Every head bowed, our eyes closed for just a moment. Our Father, we thank Thee that that beggar was healed in the long ago. We thank Thee for the compassion, the changed life, and the control of the Holy Spirit that were true in Peter and John. We pray that today the precious Holy Spirit will move in people's lives. Have Thy way today, Lord. We need Thee. We ask You to touch men, women, boys, girls, some who have never been saved, May they come today trusting Jesus as Savior. And some who have been saved who need to make it public, and some who need to move their church letter, become part of this, this band of believers here. Have thy way in Jesus' precious name. Amen. May we stand, please. We're going to sing God's invitation, just as I am without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. As we sing today, please keep in mind that this is God's invitation. If you're here without Jesus, you've never received him as your personal Savior and Lord, we want to urge you to come to Christ today. Just, just be the first to step out in the, in the aisles and say, I want Christ real in my life. He'll give you what you need. He'll give you what your heart cries for. 
If you're already a Christian, but you've never confessed Jesus publicly, you've never followed the Lord in baptism, would you come today confessing Christ openly as your Lord and Savior? Would you do that? If your membership is in some other church and God wants you at Glendale, who'll be the first to step out for, the, for Christ? Coming to say, I want to be part of this church fellowship. Will you do what God leads you to do while we pray and while we sing? Who will step out first for the King?